welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. My guest today, Darren Canthal, is an executive and leadership coach with the Canthal Group, and he's here to talk to us about a whole new idea behind how we kind of assess ourselves. There are a lot of self-assessments or assessments of others. I think pretty much everyone here is familiar with the IQ test, the intelligence quota, which is a measure of our intelligence, how smart we are. And people obviously have different feelings on whether or not they're biased or useful measures. One other measure that's come into more recent kind of utility most people probably heard of is the emotional intelligence or the, the EQ, which is a measure of how well we read our emotions, how well we read emotions of others, how mature we are with that. And it differs from IQ because it's something that's theoretically something we could improve on, we can improve on over time. Darren's specialty in his leadership coaching is talking about something called the positive intelligence or the PQ. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about what PQ or the positive intelligence what does this one measure when it comes to individuals or leaders? Yeah. All right. So much to say, of course. Positive intelligence is built upon what we call mental fitness. And we define mental fitness as your ability to handle life's challenges with a positive rather than negative mindset. There's lots of talk about mindset. And this positive intelligence has its own vernacular, way of practicing, being more mentally fit, et cetera. And as you mentioned, PQ, positive quotient, is measured by taking a short assessment to see how often your brain is in positive thought versus negative thought. Does this kind of relate to that inner chatterbox that a lot of people talk about having in their head, that whole, I'm not good enough, I'm, something's going to go wrong, all that type of stuff, or does it go further than that? That's the starting point, yes. It takes many different names, the internal dialogue, the conversations we have, the imposter. In the world of positive intelligence, we call it the judge. Oh, interesting. Positive intelligence is built upon a book written by Shirzad Shemaine. He too is an executive coach, and his book has been translated to over 20 languages. There are positive intelligence coaches in over 50 countries and in all languages and in all cultures, we all have some kind of judge. And the judge is judging ourselves, it's judging you, and it's judging our circumstance. And when we start hearing that voice of, I'm not good enough, or you're not good enough, or my situation isn't good enough, that's when we know our judge is at play. There's an internal judge, which we all have in our head that's telling us and possibly telling some of my listeners right now, my idea is never going to work or I'm not the one to implement it. And then we have external judges, which are the people around us, the people who are telling you your unique way of viewing the world is not sufficient. You don't have a right to your unique way of wanting to be, whatever. What I'm wondering is in your view, do you think the external or the internal judge is more dangerous to most people? I believe the internal judge is. It's interesting how quick a lot of people are to point the finger and say, it's you, right? It's your fault. You're the reason why things didn't go right for me. The wind blew, whatever it is, right? It's always this <laughs> external yeah. stuff. 
But at the end of the day, we have no control over external. We only have control over internal. And we find through our practice of positive intelligence, through the clients I coach, through clients Shirzad is coached, that the seemingly, I'll say best people, world-class athletes, CEOs, people who have achieved societal greatness, by all accounts, if you will, are miserable. They're unhappy. The level of success, the money they've achieved, the level of power and authority is not sufficing their happiness. And it's because it's the internal judge. Oh, wow. Yeah. What I'm wondering is if I can correctly characterize as people, everyone has an internal judge, right? And at one level, you kind of have this internal judge and it's sabotaging yourself and people can overcome that in a way. And that there's a whole second level. So you've overcome that where you're able to overcome the external pressures that activate your internal judges. And I think about that in the terms of people often say, the people you surround yourself with, the environment you surround yourself with matters quite a bit. But it's possible, I'm guessing what you're saying, to get so strong in your positive intelligence that you can overcome a room full of no's, a room full of naysayers, and still be there saying, no, I'm still going to do my thing. Is that accurate? It is accurate. Yes. I worked with a coach myself, and I have coaches all the time. A few months ago, I was a keynote speaker for an HR conference here in Denver. And so I hired a speech coach. And during our coaching, he said, okay, what do you do? And I said, I'm an executive and leadership coach. And he's like, okay, what does that mean? And really what he was getting at is there's a lot of people who say they're executive and leadership coaches. And then you as the listener, whoever you are, right, you may start to form your own conclusion of what that means. And maybe you don't ask follow-up questions. So as he and I talked about what I do, I'm very attached and I love trees. So we started talking about this idea of of an arborist. And then because positive intelligence is really rooted in our emotions, what we came up with is I am an emotional arborist. And I work with my clients first and foremost to help them feel strong internally. So their roots. Are they confident in who they are? Do they believe in the person they become? Are they rooted in values and morals? So as an emotional arborist, I focus first on your roots. Now, we also know, like a tree, with the strongest roots and the wrong environment, you will not grow. So the right environment with the strongest roots are the right job, right boss, right company, right relationship. Do you live in the right physical location? If you have strong roots and you're in the quote-unquote right environment, then you thrive. Your canopy flourishes. And so much of what you're describing is, yes, if you are sound in who you are, if you believe in the person you've become, if you are almost bulletproof, so to speak, as people are shooting at you, and I hate to use that analogy, right? Those bullets like Superman are going to bounce right off of you because your judgment of me is not going to affect me so much because I am so sound in who I am. That's amazing. That's an amazing state of being. I have to acknowledge it's a state that I'm still aspiring to get to, but still haven't 100% there. And it feels like what percentage of the population of the world or your country or city do you think has gotten to that point where they're bulletproof, they just kind of let it bounce off them and any amount of negativity is just not going to bring them down? Oh, man. I mean, such a hard question, but I I will give you an answer. (laughs) So with relation to the PQ score, we say that those who score above 80% 
their brain, their mind, their chatter, their conversations are serving them positively 80% of the time. That is the kind of the threshold for positivity, if you will. From the data, from the surveys, from all the work that we've done, only 20% of the population is there. Okay. That's fair. And that's actually more than I thought. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny because even talking to Shirzad, we'll use, you know, words like the Jedi master. We'll use a uh, comparison to someone like Bruce Lee. They're in these situations of consequence and they seem as calm as anyone could be. They're not so concerned with any individual coming from any place. It's almost like they see the totality of their situation. But nonetheless is we're all human. Bruce Lee gets hit. The Jedi master gets hit with a lightsaber, right? So point being is that even those who are as strong as possible, if you will, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, people like this, who are seemingly at that pinnacle, they're human beings. So there's no real 100%. Really what it is, is how quickly can you identify that you've been triggered negatively to how quickly you recover? Interesting. I mean, speaking of myself and maybe you can relate, maybe listeners can relate is I used to hold a grudge for days, sometimes weeks, because I was so rooted and I had to be right. Therefore, you were wrong. Nowadays, I've been able to shorten my time of recovery. Just last week, my brother called me and he and I often have differences. And he was so excited. He bought a new house, so excited. And he says, when we move in, I'm going to invite the whole family to come over. Now, my family's in New York where I grew up and I live in Colorado. And to be frank, my family does not come to visit me, which is hurtful. It upsets me. And in my brother's happiness, and he invites me to his house, I bark him. I'm not coming to New York. And so one of you people come to see me, right? I automatically shoot my brother down at a time when he's so happy. Now, in years past, I would have let that sit. And I would have probably cursed my brother up and down and said, he's not coming. to visit. In the moment I said that, I was like, dude, I'm sorry. You just got the brunt of my unhappiness and upset that mom, you, and Marissa don't come to visit me. And he accepted the apology and we moved on. So that is to me, one of the greatest outcomes of positive intelligence, that ability to recognize when I've acted wrongly, if you will, and being able to recover pretty quick. That's interesting. And it seems like it's an awareness thing more than anything else. And one thing I want to point out to my listeners is that it's not that it doesn't happen. There's something specifically about human nature we have evolutionary reasons why we feel certain ways, why we naturally activate what a lot of people refer to as the freeze fight response in our brains, but it's that awareness. And so I'm guessing this coaching in positive intelligence builds that awareness so that you can kind of look at yourself and be like, I am feeling this right now, and I am going to have to react, respond differently. That is correct. Yes. And one thing I'm wondering is that since you're executive and leadership coach, means you're working at people at the executive level, how often do people get to the executive level without developing their positive intelligence? Is that really common or is it more common for people to need to develop their positive intelligence in order to reach that level? Mm, chicken or the egg. Yeah, exactly. My experience is that people achieve those levels of greatness without having strong positive intelligence or quite frankly, emotional intelligence. And yeah, kudos to anyone truly that goes through any sort of personal professional development and decides to look at themselves objectively, no matter what the age. I have clients that are younger in their career and those closer to retirement and irrespective of age group, 
if positive intelligence works for you and it doesn't work for everybody, it doesn't resonate for everybody. And what I tell people is you take what you want and you leave the rest. And for those that resonate with it, it doesn't matter what stage of life they're in, they then start making different decisions. They're triggers and I would call them an emotional wildfire. I would have these triggers and then I would curse you up and down and I would ask people, regardless of stage of life, learn positive intelligence, adopt it into their lifestyle, is they stop igniting those fires. They recognize the trigger. They recognize the emotional connection. I'm angry, I'm anxious, I'm guilt-ridden, I'm upset, whatever it may be. And before I act on it, I observe it. I ask some questions. Why do I feel like this? Is it really that important? Oversimplifying, of course. And then from, quite frankly, a more positive state, calm, collected, empathetic, creative, exploratory, then I have a wider vantage point and I can respond in a different way that maybe doesn't ignite those wildfires. One thing I do want to touch on and I'm kind of curious about is how does positive intelligence relate to emotional intelligence? Are they, oftentimes, is there a lot of overlap? Is one kind of more a prerequisite for the other? Depending on who you ask is, some people say is if you improve your positive intelligence or your PQ, the natural byproduct is your emotional intelligence improves as well. What I often say is I'm a retired HR guy. <laughs> I've been through countless trainings, assessments, et cetera. DISC, Myers-Briggs, Caliper, Colby, EQ, et cetera. And a lot of these assessments tell you the what and the how of why, or let me rephrase that, what you are or how you are. And what I think they lack is why you do what you do. My experience and what my clients are experiencing is that the work of positive intelligence gives you the why. And therefore, when you know why you do what you do, you can change what you do or how you do it. So it's kind of like, I think we've all read Simon Sinek and his golden circle and how the why is in the middle. And it's interesting because a lot of people still to this day, I think that book's been out for almost a decade now still kind of neglect the why and focus on the how and the what, because that's kind of where the world has kind of trained most of us to be. What do you want to do? Not why do you want to do it? And that's like the first question we're asked when we pick a major in college. Yeah. And why is so hard, right? Like what we do or how we do it is kind of easier to figure out in a lot of ways. Sometimes in the work that I've done with clients is the why is quite frankly scary. It's deep. It's going to the core of why we're insecure. You know, why are we so angry? Why do we attack when we feel as though someone has dinged our armor, i.e. has found out that we are insecure about something and they criticize it? Not because they know we're insecure about it, but because maybe we made a mistake on a project, right? Maybe we flubbed a presentation. Maybe we lost a key account, right? Maybe we did something at work or even in the personal life and someone like, I don't want to say calls it out because that sounds so negative, but maybe provides feedback on it. And then our natural response is defensiveness because you're getting through our armor. And that's why I, my opinion is why the why is so hard sometimes. Yeah. The why is a lot deeper, you know, in any kind of career assessment. I did a lot of career assessments like six, seven years ago when I was going through some of my harder times in life. And one of the tactics that worked out best for me was someone told me to write down the last 10 times I was in flow, that flow, the idea of 
when you're doing something and you're so engrossed in what you're doing that you forget to do things like go to the bathroom. Like the last time you were working on something and you're so interested in what you were working that you suddenly realize, oh my God, I really have to pee as opposed to, I think when most people are at work, whereas the average person at their job, I feel like goes pee more often than they need to just to get up and around and get some variety. At least I felt that way at a lot of jobs. And they said, take these last 10 times, write down what you were doing and then write down the why and see what the connection between those whys are, because that actually explains a lot of observations of things that are seemingly unrelated. Like, why is this person really excited about both this and this and this, these three things that have nothing to do with each other? I thought your interest was science, or I thought your interest was HR. But when it comes to it, it's like, no, the underlying why can manifest in a whole bunch of different what's. Yeah. In my coaching, I lead people through a values exercise. And the values are, you know, at essence, our core, right? But what do we really care about as men and women? What's important to us? Is it adventure and freedom? Is it loyalty? Is it teamwork? Is it problem solving? Is it family? Whatever it is. And to your point, the ease and flow is usually associated with those values, right? I know you talked about a lot of work stuff. You know, my mind immediately went to when I go mountain biking. Now, mountain biking is not easy, but I'm usually with my best of friends we are playing outside, which brings me back to being a kid. I remember knocking on my neighbor's doors and saying, hey, can Joey come out and play? Like, I'm going to play on my mountain bike. We get dirty. We talk. We tell jokes. It's adventurous. It's excitement. There's adrenaline. I'm downhill. This is all ease and flow to me. And when I apply that to work, for me, and I know we're going to get there because we'll talk about my story a little bit, is that did not align with corporate America because I was not in my ease and flow. I was too busy contorting myself into this corporate box that I just did not fit into. And the ease and flow came in very small snippets as opposed to holistically. I feel like a lot of people have a similar story because there's a lot of places in this world where people, I think almost anyone can relate to the idea of I'm in a place where I'm really not supposed to be. And I'm struggling to find that flow. I'm struggling to find that motivation because this isn't me. This is not who I am. This is the who the world told me I should be, which is quite a bit different. Now, before we get into your specific story, I have one more question about concept of positive intelligence, because recently I've heard some people talk about the concept of toxic positivity, being too over the top positive and not acknowledging when certain things are negative. And I'm wondering if there's any danger as, as we kind of go about the process of retraining our minds to quell that inner chatterbox, the judge inside, and think more positively about ourselves. Is there any danger in going too far or probably not too far, but taking it in the wrong direction where it gets into the realm of this toxic positivity? I think it can, yes. And it brings up a good differentiation for us in positive intelligence. And that is positive intelligence is not about simply putting on rose-colored glasses and seeing the life through those lenses. Positive intelligence is rather more about looking at perspectives in which maybe the bad or wrong thing really isn't all that bad or wrong to begin with. And what I would challenge you and the listeners is to take an inventory of the things that uh, in the past, say, three to six months, you said, oh, this is a bad thing, or this is the wrong thing, or this is a stressful thing. And then when you get through it and you have the gift of hindsight, if you look back and reflect, was it really that bad after all? Did good things come from this otherwise bad thing? 
And in a lot of instances, the answer to that is yes, good things come from otherwise bad situations. And there's so many things at the core, I believe, but that is one of the core beliefs of positive intelligence is not that we simply put on rose colored glasses, but when we are dealing with a challenging situation, instead of succumbing to our mindset that this is bad, this sucks, it's wrong, the worst thing since ever, fill in the blank, we say, okay, I'm in struggle, I'm in some sort of strife, things aren't ideal right now, but what is something positive that could come from this? What is a gift that I might get from this otherwise difficult situation? That shift of perspective is really what positive intelligence is all about. And that's pretty timely at the time we're speaking now. We're coming out of the global pandemic from COVID-19, and we're finally at the point in most places, well, most places in the US, I know a lot of other places around the world are still having deeper ongoing challenges where we're able to look at it and say, okay, when this pandemic hit, what were we doing? What were we thinking? How were we responding? Did we cower up in the corner or as I have to admit, spend too much time drinking with our friends on Zoom? Or did we say, okay, this is an opportunity to rethink a lot of things? Because I also used it as an opportunity, the other side, to rethink the way I was kind of going about some of my social interactions because I had previously always tried to blow everything up into a big group event. And the pandemic actually taught me the power of one-on-one conversations with people and how impactful they can really be in our lives. And so we all, I guess, can kind of go about it both ways, right? There's a way you can just cower and be like, this sucks, I'm mad. And then there's a way to say, okay, you know, what can I do that's good out of it? Or how do I respond? Very much so. And I was listening to the Apple News podcast. And it just so happened to tell this story about a guy who was, I think they said like 30 or 40K in debt at the start of the pandemic, lost his job, got the unemployment benefits and all the increases that the government gave us, paid his debt off and got a new job, right? So this is one story of a guy who took an otherwise bad situation of COVID, which no one would wish this pandemic and all the harm it's caused to families who lost loved ones and all those things. And yet through this otherwise terrible experience, here's one story of a guy that paid off his debt and has got a new job and by all accounts is I shouldn't say he's living a happier life. I don't know that. I would assume he is because he's not in debt, but that was one positive. And, and exactly as you're saying, it, there is a bad situation, quote unquote, and good to come from it. And now let's get into your personal story. How did you hear about positive intelligence? Kind of randomly, actually. So I was working with a coach as I was going through my coaching certification. And she had mentioned Shirzad's work with positive intelligence. And I went to his website. I took the saboteur assessment and quite frankly, didn't really think much of it and read it. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Then a few weeks later, a friend of mine, who's also a coach, had called me and said, hey, I'm going to do this coaching program with this positive intelligence thing. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just learned about this positive intelligence. Sure, I'll do it. And so there wasn't really a deliberate seeking it out, so to speak. And yet I did it. And what I tell people is it has been life-changing for me. I see life now as before positive intelligence and after. And I also say it has been the missing link for me. Interesting. So it took a couple of different iterations. It wasn't this 
light bulb moment where all of a sudden the whatever the lights, the heavens like burst down at you and say, this is what I was meant to do, became something by doing it, by trying it essentially, which is, I think how a lot of people, and hopefully my listeners included, are going to find their path. You just try things and it resonates or it doesn't. And I've heard this so many times recently that the idea that the lucky ones, the quote unquote lucky ones are the ones that are just out there trying things. Yeah. Here's an interesting story. I'm probably going to butcher it. And if anybody wants to fact check me, please do. There was a study many years ago, maybe it was in the 70s or 80s, where a group of people who thought they were lucky and a group who thought they were unlucky were given this task. And they were given a newspaper or something like that and said, go through the newspaper and count up how many times you see something. It was either a picture or a word. Now, if you flip to the second page, it said the answer to the question is X. Those that thought they were otherwise lucky saw that and answered or solved the riddle or the problem within moments, seconds maybe. The people who otherwise thought of themselves unlucky missed that clue and went through the newspaper or whatever it was counting each time and it took them minutes, right? So the lucky aspect of thing may very well simply be a mindset. I don't know that I fully believe it, but I thought that was an interesting study. But more what I believe is you got to take action, right? Too often we get stuck in our brains. We tell ourselves the stories of why this isn't going to work or that isn't going to work. We're not going to try this or we're not going to do that. And I think that is the curse is we start believing these conversations in our head versus just stopping the talk and go do something. Just try something. So it sounds like in your story, there was a mindset before you even discovered positive intelligence adjustment made because you had already decided to start this coaching certification service or program. Had you already decided at that point that you wanted to be an executive and leadership coach specifically? I did. I had a rough time in corporate America, rough. And at the time I was working for one of my greatest bosses of all time company went through the typical turnover up top, brought in a president. My boss and he were not in favor. She left. And the new manager that came in was hands down the worst manager of my entire career. Oh my. And this was my corporate Achilles heel is I worked for these leaders whom I otherwise didn't respect. Now at the time, I just assumed my career was in corporate American human resources. And so I said to myself, I got to learn how to play better in these corporate sandboxes. And I hired my own career coach and, and literally said that to her. I need to figure out how to play better in these sandboxes. And her words still ring in my ears today. She said, maybe you need to change the sandbox. That was it. Those words started me down the path of entrepreneurship. When I talk about taking action, this is exactly how I see it, right? Like I was in a bad corporate position. I could go apply for another job and get another boss. And I said, no. I'm going to get a coach, take action. I'm going to learn from someone who I believe can help me, taking action. She planted this seed of changing the sandbox. I took action on that seed, watered it, fertilized it, all that stuff. And lo and behold, here I sit as a coach. And I had someone yesterday just tell me, you seem like you're in the right role. You seem like you enjoy what you do. And I smiled. I said, you know what? I do. I am in the right place. That's awesome. And I want to reiterate that phrase maybe you need to change the sandbox because I feel like there's a lot of people out there in the situation where 
they don't necessarily understand or embrace the full set of options that are out there, right? So most people, if you don't like your job, you say, okay, I can either grind it out and hope for a new different boss. And that's one of the problems I have with like the general corporate America job. And if someone's happy in that role, I'm more than happy for you. I'm not here to throw shade on anyone for enjoying something. But what I don't like is how that sandbox that you're in, certain pieces can just change without your input. Like one minute, you're working for a great boss and you're in a great role and people can just change your boss or even change some aspects of your role. Now, some companies are getting better about it. You know, I love how the startup world works in that sort of way. The really kind of old school companies don't care what your input is about what they want to change about your role, your boss. They're just going to do it. And if your performance suffers because you're suddenly in the wrong place, they just can you essentially. And so changing the sandbox means kind of widening that perspective of what are all the options that we have in life for how we're going to find the two things that I think careers provide for us, which are resources, you know, the, the money aspect of it can't be ignored. And the second one being kind of fulfillment of a purpose. But there might be another way to, to fill those two parts of your life. Yeah. I mean, if you're old enough to remember any listeners remember dirty dancing, nobody puts baby in a corner, right? What I experience as much of what you're saying is that I think we put ourselves in the corner. And when we're in the corner, we can't see other than that little right angle. And the right angle tells me I need my job, right? My job is my safety net. It provides all these resources and hopefully some purpose together. But if it doesn't, we stay in the corner because we almost give ourselves an ultimatum. I have to have this job or another job like it. But if we take a step back or turn our back to that corner and look at the rest of the room, there's a lot of stuff to see, right? Your words, broaden your perspective, right? Widen your vantage points. And that to me is a lot of the missing link for people. And I also believe we don't always empower our decisions. If you stay in a job, you've made that decision, empower it. Embrace the fact that you're choosing that. And if you don't want to choose it anymore, make a different choice. Now, I'm not just saying it's that simple, but if you make it this job or no job, well, that's obvious. Then you quote unquote have no choice. But if you say, hey, I'm going to go explore different sandboxes. I'm going to talk to a coach. I'm going to speak to my trusted network. I'm going to consider another company, another industry, another job, another something, right? That is all broadening your perspective, which often, and this is where I coach a lot of my clients, leads you to a greater sense of life's happiness because you're not stuck in the corner. When you first heard this, maybe you need to change the sandbox, how did your broadening process go? Did you already have a broader perspective or did you have to kind of transform yourself in that capacity? Oh, it scared the heck out of me. I mean, just like I was describing is I was tied to my HR persona. You know, I was making six figures. I was living a comfortable lifestyle. And here my coaches, and she didn't tell me what to do. She made a suggestion, which is what we do. We asked a question and she just said, what about changing the sandbox? And I knew exactly what she meant. We were talking about entrepreneurship and it scared the heck out of me. Where do the clients come from? How do I market myself? How do I make money? What do I do between now and whenever I make my corporate money again? Right? I was scared and I was resistant, but I also listened. And I also took moderate incremental steps towards looking at these other sandboxes. As I made those incremental steps, 
right? The vantage point continued to increase. I spoke to other entrepreneurs who gave me their perspective. I asked people that I trusted, would you consider hiring me? If you did, what would you hire me for? Here's some ideas I have. And right, just through this momentum, right, it started to gain some steam. Interesting. Yeah, over the course of probably three months is how long it took me before I had the discussion with that pretty crappy boss and said, I'm leaving, let's negotiate my exit. For any of my listeners out there who are dealing with this fear, how would you suggest that they kind of work with this fear? I think there's two trains of thought. There's the Nike, just do it, just do it. On the other end, not everybody resonates with that. And where I suggest and what I coach to is, let's explore the fear. What are you really afraid of? As you described putting out your blog, I have the same fears, right? Like I'm putting myself out there. I was afraid of being embarrassed, ridiculed. What if it's not good? What if nobody reads it, right? That was my fear. Other people's fear related to job, if we're using that as our subject, is the fear of not providing for my family, losing my house, having to feed my children food that doesn't align with my nutritional values, fill in the blank, right? Now, identifying the fear and putting it up there, magnetized on a board, written on a piece of paper, just known, right? Then you can take action towards alleviating that fear or strengthening it, so to speak, in the sense that, okay, I can't afford to take a 50% pay cut. Okay, fine. What do you do with it? Right? I'm being myopic in that example, but more to the point is explore the fear. What's behind it? What are you really trying to protect against? And then what can you do to mitigate the fear, ally your concerns, whatever it may be? Yeah. And I definitely see merit toward both approaches that you described. Sometimes it's just do it. One of the first books I read, and this is a pretty old book, but was way out of its time, was a book called Feel the Fear, dot, 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 do it anyway, by a psychologist, Susan Jeffords. And the book came out in the 80s, and I read it in the early 2000s when I was young. And it really resonated, you know, the idea of like kind of expanding the comfort zone. But there's also, I think, a lot of good merit behind exploring it, getting down to why we feel the fear and finding a way to, to really mitigate, okay, like I'm really, or from a purely like therapy kind of standpoint of just exploring the fear and kind of putting it into the right context and saying, okay, your fear is being ridiculed or being rejected and processing through that, you know, the mental exercises that people do. And I'm not a therapist, so I can't really comment on it with any authority. So that's really interesting. And one thing I want to make sure my listeners get a chance to do is just in case anyone wants to hear kind of more about either positive intelligence or your specific coaching services, anything you want to kind of provide some information on would be fantastic. Yeah. Real quick. I do want to comment something you just said. Okay. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Is in the realm of fear. And sometimes the fear is about like what we don't get or you know our safety and those kinds of things. For me now, you know, when I left corporate America and I realized that I, I could run a business and I tell people my aspiration is never to write my own resume again. <laughs> nice. That's my aspiration, right? So my fear now is, if you will, that maybe I can't or don't run a successful business and I have to go back to corporate. So that quote unquote fear is a motivating factor for me to do what I can to take action to grow my business. It feels a little reverse to me, but I just want to mention that it's kind of cool for me as a motivating factor. 
if anyone listening out there wants to get a hold of you or wants to find out more about your uh, services, like you, first of all, you focus primarily on executives and leaders. That's correct, right? That is correct. Yep. And um, so anyone out there that is executive leader or aspiring leader that wants to go through your program, where would they go? All right. So a few things. I'm I'm hoping somewhere on you when you post your podcast, my name will be there. Luckily for me, I am the only Darren Canthal on LinkedIn. Oh, nice. <laughs> if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, please do. If you'd reference Stephen's podcast, that'd be a great thing. I'm sure Stephen would love to know that, as would I. So that's number one. Two is my website is candidcareercoaching.com. And I chose Candid on purpose as a New Yorker. I'm, I'm a direct communicator. Or I try not to beat around the bush. And the analogy I use is I try to land the plane. I don't try to you know, do the maverick flyby of the control tower. I land the plane. So that's part of my Candid. But Candid Career Coaching. And on my page or on my website is information about my overall coaching in addition to information on positive intelligence. And is there anything that you want to tell the listeners about your coaching and how it differs from standard coaching or anything like that? Anyone that is a coach that's been through a coaching program has a similar foundation to the way we operate. You know, just like any sort of professional has a foundation in their vernacular, the skills required to do their job, et cetera. What I like to focus on is value proposition. The first thing that I like to say about my value proposition is I spent my corporate career in human resources. So conflict resolution, professional development, hiring and firing, difficult conversations is all part of my corporate and professional DNA. As a coach, my academic background, if you will, is from Coactive Training Institute, CTI, and that is rooted in life coaching methodologies. So what I'm able to do is really combine and marry a corporate background in HR with a life coaching methodology and bring those two together. And what that typically means for my clients is cutting through the noise, getting to the point, identifying your, my client's shortcomings, where they're rooted in, what they're rooted from, why are they showing up, what are you willing to do, what actions are you willing to try, and putting them into real world. Uh, it's an incremental process. I don't have an agenda other than what's right for my clients. Anyone that knows anything about coaching is it's not our job to tell you what to do. If that's what you want, seek a consultant. As a coach, we explore the current state. We help you deepen your understanding of where you are now and where you want to get to tomorrow. We are curious about what actions you are willing to take and we see how they work. And so that's the approach I take. That sounds fantastic. Hopefully everyone listening out there, if you want to get a hold of Darren, go right ahead. But regardless. I hope you all embrace a broader perspective on life, a broader perspective on life's possibilities, embrace overcoming the fear, and most importantly, the fear of digging down into your whys behind how you're feeling, where you want to be. And if you put yourself out there and try things, take action, start moving, you're going to be far more likely to find yourself in a good place, in the place where you want to be, the place where you feel fulfilled and happy and not having to write resumes if you don't want to. Once again, Darren, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. And for all my listeners out there, stay tuned for more interesting stories and discussions with inspiring people that have done inspiring things that will hopefully help you get onto the right path.
Thank you, Stephen. I really like what you're doing with your podcast. Thank you for having me on. One thing in close, if I may. Sure. For anyone listening, the adage, Rome was not built in a day, applies to you as a human being. Action starts with one thing. If you are delaying, resisting, hesitating on action, choose one thing and do it. Couldn't have closed it better myself. 